If you have your Bible today, I'd ask you to turn with me to Genesis 2, verse 24. The title of my message is Being Married in a Pressure-Packed World. Our text says, a man leaves his father and his mother, becomes one with his wife, and they become as one flesh. I talk with minister friends uh, most every week about various things. It's fairly regular that they will say something about some family in their church that has broken up. And of course, that's a very, very sad thing that we deal with. The church family wants to reach out and help and be there and uh, be supportive, but it continues to happen. Uh, Every uh, year since I've been pastor of the church, uh, we have had all kinds of issues. Uh, We've had some divorces. We've had some of this, some of that, Uh, and it's uh, very painful. We lift folks up in prayer. We try and stand beside them and love them and show God's grace. But, of course, it continues to happen. We need uh, help from each other in this regard. No question about that. Uh, Our Bible uh, study classes deal with so many helpful things, but sometimes we miss this. Uh, You know, we, we need to center in periodically on those things that are really hurtful to our people, that really make a huge, huge difference in the life of this one or that one in our church family. We need to really help each other. We need to help each other now. Uh, Time for many families is running out. You know, there was a a day when we all used uh, hourglasses, not in my lifetime, Uh, but uh, a little before that. But folks had hourglasses, and they used those to keep up with things. You know, today we have clocks, and it seems like those hands of the clock just go around forever. Uh, We are under the illusion that time goes on forever. Well, the hourglass reminds us that for some things, time is running out. And maybe we need to think about that periodically as we deal with the issues of life that are so very, very critical to folks in our church family, our neighborhood, our community. Uh, We need to be the person that is there to help. You know, Christ's under-shepherd that will be there to give a good word uh, for the Lord. Many signs indicate uh, this breakdown in families across America. One of the amazing things that uh, I read periodically in journals is that the average age of people getting married in America every year goes up. It's like marriage uh, in 10 years, 20 years is going to be phased out. And nobody will uh, be getting uh, married anymore. Uh, There is, of course, another thing, the increase in the number of of divorces. In 1960, 16 out of 100 first-time marriages ended in divorce. Today, it's 50 out of 100 first-time marriages end in divorce. It's almost as though the marriage vows today are being changed. 
Uh, they're being changed from till death do us part uh, un- unto this, uh, until something I think better comes along. <laughs> Divorce is, is not really the problem with marriages today. It is a symptom of the problem. The problem is, is we have not figured out how to survive the pressures of facing Uh, that are facing marriages today. So what can we do? How do we survive uh, in a pressure-packed world uh, with marriages that we care about, not only our own, but those of our friends and family and neighbors? Well, I'm going to make some suggestions this morning uh, that I hope will be helpful. If you're not having any, any problems whatsoever, I'd ask you today to maybe jot these down because guess who's going to talk to you? Your friends, your neighbors, people that you're in some club with, somebody that's in some group that you're in, somebody that plays sports with you, something. They're not going to go to a Christian marriage counselor. They're going to come to you and say, you know, we're kind of going through this at our house. Have you ever been through anything like this? And when that happens, a lot of Christian people who mean well don't really know what to say next. Well, today I want to give four suggestions. And I hope you'll write these down, and maybe when somebody comes to talk to you, that uh, you'll have something that would be significant to say. Point number one, you want to be realistic. Be realistic. I want to begin with a simple suggestion that we need to be realistic about Uh, marriage today. A medical doctor whose specialty was treating overstressed executives uh, was addressing a conference uh, for sales and marketing executives in Buffalo, New York a few years ago. He presented what he called the one-sentence, surefire, cure-all technique that never fails to cure stress-related syndromes. That's a big promise, isn't it? Well, his recommendation was simply this. If you want to have less stress in your life, feel less pressure in your life, lower your expectations. That was his one-liner. And uh, he thought that uh, would kind of help everybody. Well... For some, that would be uh, good advice. We need to lower our expectations in some areas. This doesn't mean that we're not to show great discernment when we pick out a husband or a wife for ourselves. What does it mean uh, no one uh, is really a perfect uh, marriage partner? Nobody in America is perfect. I mean 100% perfect. I preached this sermon at the early service today, of course, and uh, two or three came up and said, No, you're wrong. My husband and my wife, they're perfect. (laughs) Well, if we could believe at the gut level that nobody is 100% perfect, uh, it would reduce uh, some of the stress that we feel in marriages across America today. Let me tell you what often happens. Two people meet, they start dating, they fall in love, they get married, 
they have very, very high expectations in the marriage. And then in about a month or in about a year, it varies, of course, with every couple, they begin to think, you know, this person that I have married is not perfect. They're not perfect. Uh, at that point, there are two alternative uh, courses of action that are available. They can say this, well, this one is not perfect, but the perfect one is out there. And uh, I just hadn't found the perfect one yet. So they divorce this one, and they find somebody else. And they start dating, and they fall in love, and they get married. And after about a month or maybe a year, it varies with people, uh, they realize, they come to the awareness that this person isn't perfect either. And uh, they say, well, this one is not perfect. Uh, but I know there is a perfect one out there. I just haven't found him or her yet. And they divorce again, and the cycle uh, repeats. But there is another alternative. At some point, there is an awareness, of course, that your spouse is not perfect. And you realize, well, I'm not perfect either. I'm not perfect. Uh, but we have so much time and so much energy invested in our relationship that maybe if we shift gears a little bit, that we can find a depth uh, of true love that we have not yet found, and we can work this out, and we can spend our remaining years together uh, happily uh, being in love with each other. That's what I mean by lowering your expectations, being realistic about what to expect from your mate, and being realistic about ourselves. This is the first step in surviving a pressure-packed marriage. All right, number two, uh, we need to make lots of deposits in the marriage relationship. Amen. Stephen Covey uh, wrote a very, very uh, popular book. He sold uh, millions of copies. It's one of the most popular uh, books that's been written in the last 50 years. Uh, the title is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, he describes in that book a marriage relationship in terms of an emotional bank account. Now, we all know how our financial bank account works. Uh, we put money in, we build money up, we put some more money in, we put some more money in, and we build it up, build it up, and build it up. And then we begin to make uh, periodic withdrawals. An emotional bank account is the trust level that we build up in our relationship from which periodic emotional withdrawals have to be made. Covey uh, listed six major deposits that build the emotional bank account uh, in our marriage. The first one is understanding our mate. I told him in the first service, uh, I don't know if you've worked this out, but I haven't. Uh, 
Cindy is a wonderful, wonderful girl. I love her with all my heart. We're real happy, but some things I do not understand. I just don't understand. Attending to the little things in the relationship is number two. Well, you want to do that. You want to remember their birthday, uh, the date you got married. You want to celebrate that. Uh, You want to remember what uh, their favorite food is, their favorite color is, their favorite place is, this, that, and the other. Those things, the little things, are important. Uh, The next one is keeping our promises. You know, if you don't keep your promises, you're a liar. And that really messes things up. They begin to think, well, you know, if you're lying about that, what else are you lying about? You're a liar. So you want to keep the promises that you make. The next one is clarifying expectations. You know, if you are presenting something, you don't want to present it as more than it is. You want to present it realistically so people can anticipate what is really coming, uh, not in what uh, is imaginary. Uh, And then finally, uh, we want to display an integrity which generates trust. An integrity. You know, Christian people ought to be the people with the most integrity on the block. With the most integrity in the town. Occasionally, uh, I have talked to folks in the church and they say, well, you know, I've done business with so-and-so. And they left me holding the bag uh, financially. Wasn't right. They did the wrong thing. Well, that makes it harder, doesn't it? You know, you, you want to do the right thing. You want to have integrity. And the only way you ever will is by making that a bedrock issue in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. And then following through with it. Well... We're going to make some withdrawals from our emotional uh, bank account. Uh, This approach uh, leads to some conclusions uh, that we have to look at. Conclusion number one, uh, this is one of the most helpful single ideas in building a strong marriage, is to have an emotional bank account that you make contributions to, and you build it up, and then periodically, Uh, you have to, of course, uh, uh, take some out. If we make sufficient deposits in our emotional bank account, our marriage will survive those times uh, when there is a deletion uh, of any measure. Now, conclusion number two, this is a reminder that there is no quick fix. You know, today, these young people that are marrying, uh, they decide right away you know they say well this isn't working you know they don't have any concept of working through it they just say well this isn't working and and they make rash uh, spur of the moment decisions we're seeing that of course all over America Uh, it's very very common building and repairing relationships are long-term investments that we need to make. We want to build that up. But 
this is the place to start, developing a long-term investment plan for our emotional bank account. That is a key step in surviving a pressure-packed marriage in today's world. All right, thirdly, we need to allow some spaces in our togetherness. When George and Nina O'Neill interviewed couples for a book on marriage, they talked to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, some who had great marriages, some who had terrible marriages, some who had been in great marriages and now were out, some who had been in terrible relationships and now are out, Uh, some who uh, had been married, had been burned, they said, Uh, some who had been married and their mate passed away and they missed them. Uh, dramatically, uh, some who had been buoyed up and some who obviously uh, had been torn down. Uh, the O'Neills said that two themes emerged from all of their research, all of their data. One was the longing for a relationship with somebody. You know, everybody in this room this morning needs an in-depth relationship with somebody. We are not uh, made by God to be hermits. Uh, We should not go out and uh, live by ourselves in some wasteland somewhere where you never see anybody. Uh, We really need in our lives a significant person that we have a close relationship with. The other uh, thing that they found was a very basic thing was a desire for freedom. Now, the best marriages make room for both of those impulses, to have a close relationship and also to have some freedom. Why should we create spaces in our togetherness? Partly because of our need to develop into all that we can be so that we will have something of substance to bring to the relationship that we're in. We need to have something that adds to what is already there. Partly because no one person can totally fulfill all of the needs that another person has. If your husband or wife is so possessive, they don't want you to ever go out to ever be with anybody else, uh, that is a major, major problem that they need to correct. Uh, or disaster will follow. Partly because our friendships with others outside of our marriage can enrich us and enable us to be more creative and enjoyable as a husband or as a wife. Being married to a person does not mean that you are wired together at every point, that your behavior influences their behavior directly and almost uh, follows uh, the other. Instead, healthy relationships, healthy marriages, are made up of two strong, developing individuals. For that to happen, we need some spaces in our togetherness. Now, of course, this can be overdone. Uh, In one of his uh, routines, Rodney Dangerfield said, My wife and I sleep in different bedrooms. Uh, We eat at different times, 
and we take separate vacations. We're doing everything that we know to do to keep our marriage together. <laughs> the truth remains, one of the ways to survive a pressure-packed marriage is to allow some spaces in our togetherness. And then the last one. You want to keep in touch with your mate. A number of years ago, I was talking to a a lady in my church, and she was having marital problems. She came in, and she told me uh, some of the things, and I, I felt like she wasn't really getting to the heart of it. And so finally I said to her, I said, what would you say was the basic problem that you're having? And I will never forget her answer. She said, well, uh, we woke up uh, one day and realized that we had changed and we just forgot to tell each other. That happens in marriages all the time, all the time. Every day, each of us is in the process of changing. No person is the same person at the end of the day as they were at the first of the day. We have experiences and conversations and interactions and thoughts during the day that change us, that change our perspective on everything. When we incorporate these things into our lives, it makes us different people. We are all constantly in this process of changing, maybe a little bit today, a little bit tomorrow, but we're changing. And what happens in many marriages is that the wife changes in that direction and the husband changes in that direction. And, of course, they wake up with this awareness one day that there is a great chasm between them. They change and they forgot to tell each other. In our text today, the two are going to be one. That's the goal. The two are going to be one, as our text states. And to do that, you have to keep in touch. You have to have a real conversation, not just something that you shout over your shoulder as you're going out the door. You need to have a real conversation every day with your significant other. You would be amazed at some test results that uh, people go through. They put these uh, recorders on people, and they say, we want you to wear this for a month. And if you'll wear it and have it on all the time, uh, we'll pay you so much money. And so, of course, the people do it, you know, if they need the money. And what they find out is, is that the average time for a meaningful conversation in the average home in America today is about five minutes a day. About five minutes a day to talk with your husband or wife. I mean, seriously talk, not just yelling over your shoulder as you go out the door. Well, Yogi Berra's name is synonymous with baseball and the New York Yankees. Uh, He played... uh, there until he went into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, 
But Yogi looked uh, anything, uh, not anything like a Hall of Famer when he went to uh, New York at first. Uh, he came up in 1947 to play with them. He was short and squatty. That's not a great physique for a baseball player. His throwing was wild. You know, he played catcher, and once the guy was trying to steal second, and, and Yogi threw the ball real hard, and guess what happened? It hit their own pitcher in the chest uh, rather than the second baseman. He, uh, he wasn't a great hitter when he went up to the major leagues. He ran with a very strange gait. It was kind of like hopping. And everybody looked at him and thought, what in the world is that? You know, they just couldn't uh, understand it. And he talked in circles. And nobody could ha understand half of what he was saying. It was just un unbelievable. But now listen to this. Yogi ended up playing on 14 pennant-winning teams. He hit 358 home runs. He was voted the league's most valuable player three different times in his career. And he set 18 World Series records. He was an amazing baseball player. One of the contributors to his biography explained Yogi's secret. He said Yogi knew how to learn. He knew how to learn. Because he knew how to learn, Yogi grew into one of baseball's greatest players and filled roles which his detractors never thought that he was going to be able to fill. The key to your being able to survive a pressure-packed marriage is your willingness to learn. Your marriage might not be right now exactly what you want it to be. Uh, it might not uh, be moving in the right direction. But if you are willing to learn and to grow, then there's great hope that you can develop into a marriage which will last for the rest of your life. I hope and pray that we as a church family can minister in the ways where we share uh, truths with other people and help them to grow in their faith. Today, if you're in the house, you've been thinking about uh, becoming a child of God or you've been thinking about joining the church, you've been praying about what the Lord would have you to do, if today would be the day when you'd like to come, I'm going to stand right down here at the front. We're going to sing a hymn. And if the Lord leads you, I pray that you would slip out and come and take a stand for him. Let's stand together as we sing.